We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm going to turn it over to to Wes uh, to share a little bit about himself, uh, you know, why he's been missing the last couple of days and what's going on. Yeah, I've been out the past couple of days spending the days in hospitals getting tests. They found a mass on my esophagus, and it turns out it is cancer where my esophagus meets my stomach um, before everybody freaks out listening. My doctor is very encouraged that it did not spread. You are listening to Fantasyland, the podcast that covers everything you didn't know you wanted to know about fantasy sports. I'm your host, Peter Overzet, and that clip you heard a few seconds ago is Chris Wessling, a writer and podcaster for the NFL, openly sharing his cancer diagnosis last May on one of the most listened to football podcasts in the world, Around the NFL. Everyone at Fantasyland is a big fan of Chris Wessling, so we were stunned when we heard his announcement last summer. As Chris's battle with cancer unfolded publicly, we, like so many others, listened to every episode and tracked his progress on Twitter and Instagram. Then in the fall, we reached out to Chris to see if we could make a Fantasyland episode about everything he was going through. Over the course of the past five months, we've checked in regularly with Chris, through the highs, like announcing on Around the NFL that his tumor had been obliterated, to the lows of an eight-day hospital stay where even getting out of bed caused excruciating pain. We also talked with the people in his life, co-workers, family, friends, listeners, and even his girlfriend, the paramour. In talking to all of these people, in diving into the colorful world of the Around the NFL podcast, we realized this wasn't just a story about a public figure battling cancer. It was also a story about a truly unique person. Chris is brilliant but humble, incredibly stubborn and yet open-minded. He's the kind of guy who can feel just as much at home pouring his own beer at a beachside dive bar as he can calling Cam Newton a preening schmo on air in the NFL studios. He's the best preener in sports. Uh, he's breaking it down. He's doing a little dance. No, hold on. He's not even done preening yet. Chris is loved by everyone, from former girlfriends to the people he's blocked on Twitter. The impact that Chris has had not only on people close to him, but thousands more around the globe is truly remarkable. In fact, the reason we had the opportunity to tell this story at all 
is because Chris made the unconventional decision to share his cancer diagnosis and subsequent treatment with the Around the NFL audience. We asked him why. To me, it was a way to kind of head off thousands of conversations in the hallway about what's wrong with me, let people know what's wrong with me up front, and then I don't have to keep having those conversations. And then over the podcast, I think to me, like, I really like our listeners a lot, and it's grown to be almost like a family. So I was okay with sharing all that. And the podcast, I think, has become such a big part of our lives that it felt natural to me to share that. We should probably back up a little in case you aren't familiar with Chris Wessling. If you spent any time obsessing about the NFL or fantasy football online over the past 10 or so years, you certainly know about Chris. And if you read Football Guys in the mid-2000s, you might remember his epic posts breaking down the long-term fantasy value of hundreds of players. Here's Greg Rosenthal, one of Wes's co-hosts on Around the NFL, and his former boss at Roto World. I hired Chris Wesseling off of a ridiculous, I don't even know how long it was, like 50,000 word message board post that he put into the Football Guys Dynasty League message board. Or if you listened to our Roto World episode a while back, you'll remember Roto World senior editor Evan Silva describing what an asset Wes was to the site. This dude knows football and you know I I would put him up there as one of the the smartest football minds that there are. But over the past few years Chris has become an even larger personality in the football space writing and podcasting for NFL media. Around the NFL is a massively popular podcast with an international audience and thousands of regular listeners. It even has its own subreddit for ongoing discussion about the show's current topics and inside jokes. The podcast is a perfect balance of hardcore football talk and humorous bits. Let's quickly introduce you to the hosts, or should I say heroes. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with heroes. First, there's Dan Hansis, the host who keeps things light with fun bits, zany drops, and even the occasional impression. I'm Gary Bonnage. You know who I am, mate. But you got to get some better playmakers around me, man. Come on. It's got, we got to have an offense that's mega, man. This offense ain't mega. You know it. And keep joining football. Then there's Mark Sessler, also known as the Quiet Storm. Mark is a long-suffering Browns fan and a bit of an enigma. But one thing is for certain. He has a way with words. 50 words to describe the Dallas Cowboys defense that I saw last <laughs> night. Here we go. Putrid. Shipwreck. A dystopian wasteland of the mind. A 400-year stay in Paramus, New Jersey. But not to suggest innocence or purity. (laughs) An eternally open door. The frightening laughter of every horrible ex-girlfriend embodied in a loose 4-3 scheme. Then there's NFL.com's Greg Rosenthal. Greg is known as the old boss because he used to assign and edit the articles of the other heroes. On the show, he's known for trying to kill every segment and for having strong opinions on the league's quarterbacks. I think Winston has made more plays, spectacular plays, outside the pocket than just about anyone, including Mariota this season. Because Wes is so critical of this, I went and checked. Football Outsiders had Mariota head 13-17 in the same order. PFF 
had Winston far ahead. And then there's Wes, the former mailman from Cincinnati with a brilliant football mind. Like Greg, he's known for his strong opinions, and the two of them have been dubbed the scientists because of their intense back and forth about the X's and O's of football or QB rankings. Here's Wes in the lab. Mariota belongs in the tier up further as well as he played the last five weeks, and Winston shouldn't, has no business above Tyrod Taylor or Kirk Cousins or Andy Ball. Have you watched Winston's last game? It's not, one not of the best games. Game. He That's played. fine, but he's been a liability for a lot of the year. Together with their smarts, fun, and chemistry, they've created a podcast that has resonated with listeners in a big way. Matt Grieber, who goes by Greaves Online, is a dedicated listener who runs the podcast subreddit. He feels so connected to the hosts that on a recent trip to L.A., he found himself imagining a chance encounter with them. There was a bar with a big Cleveland Browns banner on the front of it. And I literally had the thought, oh, I wonder if Mark's in there. Not not like, I wonder if NFL writer Mark Sessler goes here. Off. Like it was like, I, and I even sort of caught myself like, I don't know, Mark. Like what would happen if I walked in there and was like, hey, Sessler. But it is that that sort of feeling like, you know, if, if all four of them are there, that it's really a conversation between five people and I'm just not talking. And I don't really know how they managed to make that so fluid, but they do. Mike Flame, known by listeners as Mr. F, is a high school teacher in the Netherlands who is such a big fan of the podcast that his economics class became the sole sponsor of the show for a period of time. He couldn't agree more with the effect that ATN has had on listeners. I think Greeby puts it really well when he says you feel like you're in the room with them because you connect with them, even though you've never met them and maybe never will. You have a connection that's uh, really important. You can imagine then how hard it was for all of the podcast listeners when Wes announced his diagnosis on the show last May. Here's Charlie Barker, an ATN fan from the UK, sharing his reaction. It really was a gut punch. And it's ever so strange to say that because I've never met them or spoken to them. And yet you think you know them so well because of the, um, the way that they come across on the podcast. Wes's announcement on the pod was just the beginning of his public and private battle with esophageal cancer. But before we get to all of that, we need to tell you about Wes's girlfriend, Lakeisha Jackson. She plays a central role in this story, which is kind of amazing considering that she and Wes only started dating just under a year prior to his diagnosis. Lakeisha is a digital content editor for NFL Media, which made her and Wes co-workers. And at least initially, that was a problem. He had before we became close friends, kind of like showed interest in me. And I kind of just brushed it aside because I don't date people at work. And I just was like, nah, that's okay. But over time, she started warming up to the idea of dating Wes. We really didn't get that close until we ended up doing a softball team that year. So then we would go out after softball and have drinks. And that's how I saw like a different side of him at the work side. And we would always be like the last two there just talking. So we became like really good friends. And then one time during the summer, he went away back home and he wasn't at the softball game. And I just really started missing him. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I missed him like so much. And I'm like, what the hell is going on with me? Like, what is happening? As their status became official behind closed doors, it posed a challenge for how much could be revealed on the Around the NFL podcast. In order to keep things somewhat discreet, the host began referring to Lakeisha as the paramour. 
it made me laugh. I liked it a lot because it was a way for them to be normal and talk about Wes's situation without it, with other people at work knowing about it. Wes landing the girl of his dreams through softball is as fitting as it gets. Baseball and softball have always been a huge passion for Wes, dating back to his days as a young shortstop in Cincinnati. And it's a passion he's carried with him into his adult life. Here's Chris's brother, Nick. Chris may not have been the most fluid athlete out of the Westlings. Not to say he wasn't athletic, but you know he wasn't the fastest or the biggest. But man, that guy could wall up a baseball. From the time he was young, he would just crush it. And I don't know what he had that the rest of us didn't. When he was in high school, where he realized, okay, this probably isn't a realistic dream for me to be the shortstop for the Reds. So he, uh, he got into softball. And I think at one point he was playing five nights a week when he was in his early 20s. When Wes moved from Cincinnati to Tybee Island, Georgia in his 20s, he brought his love of softball with him. He joined a team there representing his favorite local bar, Huckapoos, which we'll hear more about later. And his teammates there loved him. Here's Wes's good friend and the owner of Huckapoos, Eric Thomas. You know, I don't know if he was the best player on the team, but situationally, he knew every aspect of the game. He's, he's a baseball fan as much as he is a football fan. He told everybody where they were supposed to be. He was the manager on the field. I remember when I first got to Tybee and I, and I went out for the Huckapoos team and I was on the bench at first because I was the new guy and it took a game or two and I think I had a game-winning hit or something or another. So I was in the lineup from then on and then within a year I was running the team and when, within a year after that we were winning the league like almost every year for a while. When they retired my jersey when I was moving out to L.A., my buddy Stephen Hines, who was on the team every year with me, said the line, you, you taught us how to win. And to me, that was one of the most gratifying experiences I've had in sports, just hearing that my attitude toward the game had rubbed off on the rest of the guys and girls on the team. When the NFL media newsroom formed a softball team in 2016, it's no surprise that Wes was heavily involved. The team is called The Shield, in an overt reference to the NFL's logo, and the team became a big talking point on the podcast. The decision to move Irishman to leadoff paid off big time in my book, five for five with five runs. It might sound like their softball obsession was a bit, but Wes and Dan were dead serious. We would spend like an hour during shifts staring at the lineup, thinking about who we could recruit, like taking it way more seriously than you could even possibly imagine that one would take a level C co-ed softball league. Uh, but that was just the fun of it. Like I was the Joe Torrey and Wes was my Don Zimmer's joke we used to have. Of course, when it comes to recreational sports, there's always the risk of taking things too seriously. I think the dilemma for every buddy softball league ever is do we stay friends or do we go to be really competitive? And I feel like my best quality in softball is that I'm good at balancing the two, keeping everybody on the same friendship wavelength, making sure the group stays together, drinks together, kind of be the hippie team where there's a kumbaya atmosphere, but still winning the league. At the end of the 2016 season, Wes's philosophy worked. Thanks in no small part to Wes and Dan's passionate management, the Shield won their league's championship. Colleen Wolf, a frequent guest on the Around the NFL podcast, told us that Wes made sure they had plenty of fun in the process. I basically just like stood in the outfield next to him and I tried to order beer to the outfield. And him and I like were really excited because we thought that there was going to be beer delivery, but there never was. But the games were always so much fun because 
he's always trying to get people to do better. He's always trying to motivate everyone. Like he would be a great coach, honestly. Softball is just one of the many activities the Around the NFL crew participate in together outside of the studio. If it sounds like they are best friends when you listen to the podcast, it's because they are. From the very beginning, the signposts were there that we were meant to be friends and all the work stuff to me comes second. It really does. You know, we would hang out and have a good time at work and then we'd end up at the cozy down the street after work. You know, it's hard to kind of pinpoint when it kind of became clear that like there was no real line between our relationship on the show and what was going on off the air. One thing that Wes and I love is we love to go drink beers and we love to go, you know, raise cane and hang out together. And he immediately became like this top two or three drinking buddy of all time. Getting people together for cold beers and lively conversation is one of Wes's favorite things to do. I love throwing, I don't know if I call them parties, but I like throwing gatherings where people can get together and play cornhole and and bullshit and hang out and waste a day drinking beers. The most famous of these get-togethers is Wesselmania, a yearly Wes-hosted shindig that is referenced often by the podcast crew. Wesselmania is the type of party that seems so debaucherous that people are purposefully vague about the specifics. Here's Wes's friend, John Gonzalez. It's a bacchanalia. Wesselmania, everything you hear about it, I mean, like, I'm not doing it justice. Any, all, any of the stories you had heard about it don't do it justice. It is, uh, I'm, frankly, I am shocked that any of them are allowed to work at the NFL. What we do know about Wesselmania is that it involves a lot of beer, lots of cornhole, and Wes smoking meats on his big green egg. Here's Liz Loza, Chris's friend and a fantasy football analyst for Yahoo Fantasy. I don't eat meat, but he does smoke this pork butt or whatever one smokes on this green egg, and all the people love Chris's smoked meat. He's got some Vince Wilfork in him, for sure. And as good as Chris is at smoking meats, he's apparently even better at cornhole. He likes playing it because he's really good at it. You know, he's beaten me, and I was pretty good, but he was—he beat me one night where he is so drunk, he would throw the bag, and then we had a wall. There was a wall beside him. He would throw the bag and then have to lean up against the wall so he wouldn't fall over, and he beat me. That's how, that's how good he is. Yeah, like when Wes has some beers, and by beers, I mean like a dozen beers. Wes is kind of the um, the Andre the Giant in my life. Like the story is like, oh, Andre drank 400 beers and then 40 bottles of wine and six steaks. Like Wes is my Andre the Giant when it comes to competitive drinking. Wes was living the dream. He had a great job in L.A. writing and podcasting about football, a new girlfriend, a group of best friends and drinking buddies, and a winning softball team. But last spring, Wes started not to feel like his normal self. Here's Colleen. We had gone out to dinner one night and he wasn't feeling well. And like all of a sudden he had to get up from the table and like he he was like, you know, not he was just not OK. And him and Lakeisha had to leave. And Lakeisha was like, I don't know. He just like he just hasn't really been feeling great all day. You know, it's probably nothing. And I remember thinking like, God, I hope he's OK. Wes said the unusual things he was feeling around this time progressively got worse. I would just be having these issues eating and drinking. And it occurred quite a bit when I was drinking beer, but it would be 
like acid reflux symptoms, which I've never had before in my life. So it was new to me. And then it kind of graduated into like kind of involuntarily throwing up. We decided like once the football season was over with, you know, he'd make a doctor's appointment and just figure out what it was. And he had me switch up a few things with my diet and then report back after a month. And after that month, it had gotten worse. As Wes's symptoms persisted, he was referred to a gastrointestinal specialist for what he and Lakeisha assumed was a routine exam. I just remember waking up, they put you on propofol, which knocks you out pretty quickly. And my doctor, who I just met, you know, like a couple of days previously, she was kind of distraught. I could see a worried look on her face and she just said, we found a mass. You have a tumor. The doctor comes in and explains everything, and she says cancer. And I don't know what she said after that because I kind of had an out-of-body experience. I'm just, like, floating above the conversation. I knew that I was, like, freaking out inside, but I was trying to be really strong for him at that moment. So I just kind of lied to Chris and was just like, hey, I just, you know, I've, I thought of something else that I want to ask the doctor about. So I stepped outside and talked to her, and I just break down crying, like, you know, how serious is this? Like, you know, what does this mean? And you can tell by the look on her face that what she saw wasn't good at all. And even just talking about it just makes my eyes water up a little bit because it was just, we thought it was going to be like a herniated, like something, like a like an ulcer thing. I didn't even, cancer didn't even come across my mind, like whatsoever. And we were kind of walking out of the doctor's office. And like I said, I'm just coming out of it. So I said, well, you know, maybe they got the wrong results or, or, you know, there could be a mistake. And she just kind of looked at me. She says, no, you don't understand. You have cancer. Wes and Lakeisha spent the next 48 hours feeling helpless with all kinds of questions they didn't know the answer to. In those two days between when she ran that test and when we found out whether it had spread or not, those were the two roughest days I've had yet because it's, you, you don't know whether they come back and say, yeah, we did make a mistake or whether it's going to be, yeah, you have six months to live or, you know, it's, it's correctable with surgery. So I, I think that not knowing just in those 48 hours before we got the test back was, was really the hardest part. During this uncertain and terrifying period, Wes started alerting his friends and family about what was going on. He said, I went to the doctor and the doctor told me that I have a mass at the base of my esophagus and I have esophageal cancer. And I just sat there stunned for a long period of time. I don't know how long I was silent. And I said, I don't I don't think that can be true. And he said, no, it's, it's true. And I said, okay, well, um, what's, the, what's the course of action? And he said, talked about chemo and radiation and a surgery. I don't really remember the rest of the call. I think I was just stunned and I just said, okay, well, I, I love you. And if there's anything I can do, let me know. And I'm sorry. 
You know, like I, I think I, I, I was not great. <laughs> I was not great. I didn't know how to react. I was so stunned. No one knew what to say. And all I kind of remember is someone at the table said, Wes, none of us know what to say. Like, let's not be fake here. Let's not dance around the topic. But we don't know how really to talk about it the way that a doctor would or someone that isn't also just scared about the news. Even though no one else knew what to say, Wes found a way to stay calm and composed while walking everyone through what was going on. In very West style, you know, he was very, he just came came right out, said it right away, sort of, you know, explained it, was trying to almost make everyone, uh, I think, that he spoke with feel better about it. I think, for the most part, he was comforting me, you know, and I wasn't comforting him. I think that's kind of what it turned into is he called me and then he had to comfort me, you know, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing when you tell somebody that you have have cancer and you're about to go through a a long battle. And, uh, unfortunately that's what he did. He, he had to, he had to call me, he had to break the news to me. Then he had to comfort me. And I think he did that just about everybody. Wes told us that he was thankful this diagnosis didn't occur when he was younger. If, if this had happened five years ago, it would have been a lot harder for me. I think because I'm older, I kind of like, I always say going through your 30s is hard. It can humiliate you and it can knock you down to size. In, the, in your 20s, you know everything. You know, you're this know-it-all and, and you're smart. And you got all the answers. In your 30s, you figure out life is hard and it's messy. And I think like I, I lived a lot. I was a guy who partied quite a bit. And I did get to live a lot in my 20s and 30s. And to me, I was like, okay, if I was like 30 and just wanting to start a family, this would be a lot harder for me. But I think the fact, or if I was, you know, if it was like when I first moved to LA and I was incredibly lonely and I didn't have, you know, a girlfriend in my life and I hadn't met the guys from the podcast quite yet, it would have been really hard to go through all that alone. When people heard the news, they couldn't help but research esophageal cancer something Mark cautioned everyone against. He said, you know what, the worst thing you can do is just start doing your own research online. You're not really qualified to be a medical expert. And there's all this misinformation on Google. So I, from the very beginning, made a conscious effort not to do my own Googling, not to do my own research, and just rely on my doctors. There's really grim stuff on the internet about any type of physical thing someone could go through. And I think we quickly shut that down. I know I did. I just said, I am not going to look at any of that because this is Wes, who's much younger than some of the people they're talking about. People in their 70s and 80s who are getting it. That's a different situation. I also knew that like a lot of days, mentally, it can beat you down and you just have to put yourself into the hands of the experts and let them do the work and let the drugs do the work. And some days you just can't battle. After the initial diagnosis, Wes and Lakeisha were on pins and needles waiting to find out whether or not the cancer in his esophagus had spread. Finally, after 48 long hours, they got the call they had been waiting for. The doctor called and she said that the cancer had not spread. So it's just like such a relief. I mean, man, because Wes is strong. Like he's one of the strongest people that I know. So we knew then like, okay, we, we, we got this. Like it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. It hasn't spread. We can, we can make it through the treatment.
Months before the diagnosis, Chris and Lakeisha had planned a trip to Tybee Island that they were not going to miss. And now they would be heading to Chris's favorite place on Earth with some good news under their belt. As far as vacation destinations go, Tybee Island isn't the most recognizable place. But if you know Chris Wessling, you know it holds a special place in his heart and a place he was bound to take Lakeisha. The small island in Georgia is just 30 minutes from Savannah, and when you hear Wes and his friends talk about it, it almost takes on an air of mythical proportions. Chris's high school buddy, Jason Buelderman, who we kid you not, is now the mayor of Tybee, told us about a trip that Chris and his girlfriend at the time, Rosie Laney, made to the island in 2004 to visit him. One of the days, the three of them were hanging out at the beach. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, uh, about 20, 30 yards away, this guy, kind of a bigger, middle-aged guy, I remember he had aqua socks on, stood up, and he had his beer in his hand, and he looked around and announced to the general joy, he said, uh, I'm having a good day today. And me and Wes and Rosie just looked at each other, and we're like, God, I love this place. That moment and that trip clearly left an impact on Wes and Rosie, because a few years later in 2006, Wes quit his law firm clerk job in Cincinnati, and he and Rosie moved to Tybee Island for a new adventure. It wasn't immediately paradise, though, as Rosie told us they were living paycheck to paycheck in those early days. Wes has apologized to me before. He's like, I'm really sorry you got the poor years. And I'm like, yeah, so am I. Yeah, Rosie's right. We were tight. We didn't have any money. I think I had cashed in my 401k from the law firm years. And there was a night I remember where we had to kill a rat. I think we put a mattress up against the wall, trapped the rat, and I pounded the rat to death through the mattress with a cast iron skillet. So yeah, there was that night and the night they came to repossess Rosie's car. And it was like three in the morning and I just hear her shrieking, Wes, they're taking my car. And I jumped out of bed and I ran out to try to, you know, bargain with the guy. And he's like, look, it's out of your hands, buddy. It wasn't all bad, though. Chris and Rosie eventually found their people, in large part thanks to Cornhole, which Wes introduced to Tybee and quickly became a favorite pastime on the island. And once everyone was finished playing Cornhole, you could be certain they were getting a drink at Huckapoo's, a sports bar just a stone's throw from the water. It's like the Valhalla of hippie sports bar beach shacks. My favorite thing about it is that you could be sitting next to a millionaire who lives in a $6 million house by the beach on Tybee. On the left side of you, on the right side of you is some construction worker just trying to get by, building houses on Tybee, very blue collar. And the three of you are just having a conversation about any subject in the world. And it's just a fascinating discussion. And that was my experience at Huckapoo's. And eventually, you know, if my friend Mike Watson was bartending that night, we had a really good relationship. You know, I'd come in after softball on a Monday night or something, and he'd be busy. He'd be like, Wes, you know better than that. Just go behind the bar and start pouring your own when you need one. So to me, to me that was the magic of Huckapoo's. Just if you get thirsty, just go behind the bar and pour your own beer. It was like a beacon. It just drew you in, and um, you could not get him out of there. He was absolutely in love. Huckapoo's is like no other place. One of my beliefs is you have to surround yourself with interesting characters because without them, life would be entirely dull. And Tybee is chock full of interesting characters with great backstories that you wouldn't possibly believe. I'm lucky to have them in my life. In a lot of ways, Huckapoo's is where Wessling sharpened his debating skills 
and first showcased his breadth of knowledge that everyone now enjoys on a regular basis via the Around the NFL podcast. As the owner of Huckapoo's, Eric Thomas had a front row seat. He would hold court. I mean, people would just gather around him. And uh, whatever the topic was that day, whatever the big news story was that day, and like his opinion counted. He was the kind of guy that other guys wanted to sit next to at the bar because he could talk about anything and everything, and he wasn't full of shit. What made Wes a fun hang also made him a terrifying trivia opponent. The entire bar could be on a team and play against Wes, and they could lose. I mean, he's just... He's so smart. He just knows so much stuff. It's not hard to see why Wes fell in love with Tybee, and specifically Huckapoos. They both satisfy so much of Wes's personality, his desire to be around interesting characters, his love of sports and debating, and most of all, his resiliency. In the past 10 years, Huckapoos has weathered multiple hurricanes and a fire, and every time their community has rallied to rebuild the bar and restore it back to its former glory. Wes was there for all of it. It's not that I don't think of Cincinnati as my hometown, but Tybee was the place, I think, where I became a man, where I grew up. Of course, Chris could not stay in Tybee forever. Eventually, he got noticed by the NFL after years of impressive work writing for Rotoworld and was offered a job in Los Angeles. For longtime friends like Jason and Eric, it was tough to see him go, but they knew he was destined for big things. Plus, there was the silver lining that they would still be able to listen to Wes hold court on the podcast. He's not with us, but when we're listening to the podcast, it feels like he's with us because that's exactly what he would be doing if he was here. But now he gets to do it for a nationwide audience or a worldwide audience, really. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool, man. The legend of Wes and Huckapoos has only grown since his departure. His softball jersey is retired at Huckapoos and hangs from the ceiling as does a framed printout of his first Roto World article. And if you were in there on a day Wes is on TV, they'll crank up the volume so everyone can hear. What's really funny and bizarre for Eric, though, as the owner of Huckapoos, is that ATN listeners now have a fascination with Huckapoos after hearing it referenced so many times on the pod. It's amazing how many people come in and they want to know, like one one group of, it was a, a couple of um, Asian girls, real petite, you know, didn't speak very good English. And they came in, they wanted to see the phone that Chris Westling talked on. And I was like, what, what do you want? And she's like, yeah, I want to see the phone. And I was like, okay, Here, here's, here's the phone, you know, this is it. And I don't know, I've, I don't know if I missed that, that episode or, uh, or what, but something about the phone. I couldn't really understand. And then, so I called him and I said, Hey, do you think you could call up here and ask for them? You know, and I'll put you on, on the phone. So he did. And he said, he calls up to the bar and the phone rings and I give it to them and, and they're, and they're freaked out. It was amazing. The reaction. And, uh, and it just made me understand like his celebrity. When listeners heard that Wes and Lakeisha were headed to Tybee, a group from the ATN subreddit organized a GoFundMe to pick up Chris's bar tab at Huckapoos for the weekend. The goal was reached almost instantly, and from the sound of things, Wes and Lakeisha had an incredible time. I knew they were in town, and uh, I hadn't seen them yet, and I was driving to work, and uh, I see him and her walking down the street 
with champagne glasses, drinking champagne at like 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, what are y'all doing? He's like, just enjoying the day. I was like, drinking champagne in the morning, huh? He's like, yep. Wes would talk about Tybee Island on the podcast all the time, and it's just like, okay, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But then you go there, and it's just like, holy hell, this is amazing. Like, you go to Huckapoo's, and you see all these people that genuinely love Wes. It's like an extended family. And even if you aren't from Tybee Island, or it's just your first time, like, it feels like a home. Like, it's just, it's hard to describe, but it's like freaking heaven. After his trip to Tybee with Lakeisha, Wes returned to the podcast. If there were any concerns about the specter of his cancer diagnosis darkening the mood on the podcast, they were quickly put to rest on a June 26th episode. Chris Wessling to my left and Greg Rosenthal to my right. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. Wes, if if you just, you know, get out of the way for a second, I want to talk about this cold that I'm dealing with. (laughs) Um, because we, yeah, we're facing challenges here in, in, in the, in the studio, Wes, your brave battle against the big C, but this summer cold, I mean, don't underestimate little C, <laughs> you know, when you get hit with a summer cold, it, 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 let alone one that comes right before you leave for vacation, which I'm doing tomorrow. Oh, so yeah, uh, everybody out there who might be worried, you're like, oh, should we start a GoFundMe or whatever for Dan? No, I, w- I would say hold <laughs> off on that for now. We'll see where I am as the week progresses. I again, I'll be on vacation after today, but I am <clears throat> very an- basically annoyed that I have a cold. And Wes, like you and me, we could talk about this stuff. When Dan came on and he said he had little C, I t- it cracked me up. I didn't know it was coming. I knew that Dan had a cough and some sniffles that week, so. Dan is good about feeling sorry for himself. He can he can play it up. Again, that's kind of a a credit to Wes's personality in the sense that he's so open about things. Um, but he's also he's like a good sport, and we're just so comfortable with each other that we know what's okay and what's not. And even something unprecedented like one of us getting like a major illness like this, it was like we're still all the same guys. And it felt it didn't feel like Wes was the sick guy in the studio. It was just. Like, Wes is dealing with this, but we're still all together and having fun, busting each other's chops, and that was, everything was just to make each other laugh, which is a major part of what the show's about. I do think that Dan handled that with the right tone, and it could have been much different if if my diagnosis was worse. If Around the NFL was a typical football show, it'd be easier to quote-unquote stick to sports, and Wes might not have felt like sharing his diagnosis with the listeners. But ATN isn't your typical show. Our show is, I'd say, you know, 60% football and 40% a bunch of other stuff. And a bunch of other stuff that is really just about life and our friendships and, you know, ripping on each other and our quirks. So if you're just a hardcore football fan, we've had some people say it's not enough football. But that's not really who we're catering for. There's a million shows like that. My point is, is that we, I think, have been about so much more than football that when something happens to one of the people on the show, like Wes, you, A, you feel so personal about it. That's the, the outpouring was how personal people took it and how much it meant to them because Wes is not some distant, far off, inaccessible Hall of Fame player or someone that just doesn't seem to have any interest in the listeners, but quite the opposite. Wes is the, one of the most interactive football writers you will ever find. Mark isn't joking about Wes's accessibility to fans. 
Greebs told us many stories of Wes jumping in the ATN subreddit forums and mixing it up with fans. And on Twitter, if you send a respectful message to Wes, he'll almost definitely respond. But respectful is the operative word there. And those who aren't get hit with the block. He loves to block people. Like he was always bragging about how many people he had blocked on Twitter that day. So, I mean, there's there is a whole contingent of people who have been blocked by Chris Wesseling. It just makes me so happy to block people on Twitter. Like, why are you in my life? You don't need to be in my life. Wes will never back down from an opinion that he has, and uh, because it's not an opinion to Wes, it's a statement of fact. So people on Twitter disagree and maybe do it in a way that doesn't uh, sit well with Wes, immediately disappear forever. They get... It's the equivalent of being wished away to the cornfields. You want to come at me and have a nuanced adult conversation on Twitter? I'm here for that. <laughs> you want to come in immediately with your agenda? I don't deal well with people with agendas, especially when they're obvious. Like, Damn. take your agenda to your own Twitter feed where you control the conversation. Don't come onto mine with your agenda. Even Wes's ex-girlfriend, Rosie, gets a kick out of Wes blocking people on Twitter. That cracks me up. <laughs> uh and, you know, he told me one time, he's like, I feel like it's like my living room or something. And, you know, if I'm going to invite you in and then you're going to be rude, I'm going to kick you out. But a funny thing happened after Wes's cancer announcement. Some of the people who wanted to reach out on Twitter and send their well wishes found themselves blocked. And so they had to resort to asking the other ATN hosts to pass along their messages. The fact that so many people that were blocked by Wes sent out their love and support to him through us to me is like the most west thing ever <laughs> it used to be multiple a day but i think most people have pitched their case at this point hey you know west blocked me eight months ago i love west i want to talk to him they just want to hey i can't tell him but let him know on our behalf that you know we we wish him well and and some of the people didn't even ask to be unblocked but some people were like hey also can you can you tell him to unblock me Oh, Wes, just an FYI, like another one of your blocked followers is wishing you well. And here's their address. Do as you wish with it. Actually sifting through all of the unblock requests would essentially be a part-time job. So Chris's brother Nick offered to assist. I actually told him I volunteer to uh, have everyone state this case to me. Uh, and Chris thought that was one of the funniest things he's ever heard, but it was just like, how are you going to do it? And I'm like, well... I don't know if I'm in a good mood. I guess I'll uh, I'll uh, unblock him. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, I love the idea of you sitting on a throne as the uh, unblock czar. Nick and Wes are two of seven Wesling brothers that grew up together on the west side of Cincinnati. And neither of them have ever shied away from a debate. Usually when Nick and I are in the same room, there are some knockdown, drag out debates and arguments. And um, usually they revolve around LeBron James and Michael Jordan. My argument always is that the NBA is so good now and the players are so versatile, so athletic, so big, so strong. They all can shoot. They can all handle the ball. I wouldn't know that Jordan would be anywhere near as dominant today as he was then. Go back and watch the 1984 Olympic Games where he's playing against teams that are filled with Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, and Jordan's already the best player on the court. Nobody can cover him. The dude was six foot six and ran a sub four four forty at North Carolina. He was running in the four threes at six foot six. 
that anyone would say that his athleticism was a product of his time is wholly ignorant. And Nick is out of his tree whenever the LeBron Jordan discussion comes up. I refuse to even entertain a discussion about LeBron being in the same tier as Jordan. It's just not even close. Chris, however, is in fact willing to entertain the discussion because from what we heard, this LeBron-Jordan debate comes up a lot. Mark and Greg had heard about these legendary arguments between the Wessling brothers, and when they found themselves together in Indianapolis to celebrate Wes's 40th birthday, they were anxious to see it in person. Luckily, one of the Wessling brothers was happy to oblige. My brother Phil, who likes to instigate things, said, just bring up Jordan and LeBron in front of Nick and Chris. I think he elbowed Mark and said, watch this. And then the whole place just blew up. It was like dropping a lit match into a dry forest. It was just like watching Ali Frazier for the next two hours between Wes and his brother just going going after it and like Wes just not backing down. And then I suddenly sort of realized like, oh, this is, this is why Wes is how he is. It was such fertile ground. It was as if they had just seen LeBron and Jordan for the first time. So I just sat back, grabbed a beer, and just watched, and it was fantastic. It doesn't end with just Jordan and LeBron debates. Wes holds strong, well-informed opinions on just about everything, from sports to politics to literature. And he is always willing to have constructive debates with friends. Liz Loza explained why this is an issue. The, the problem with arguing with Chris is that his stubbornness and intelligence are directly proportional to one another. So anytime you make a valid point, he just digs his heels in further, which frankly is why when he told me he had gotten sick, I was like, well, cancer's got nothing because I've never met a more stubborn mofo in my life. In the months following Wes's diagnosis, he found himself in a weird spot. Everyone in his life was reaching out to support him, and yet at this point in time, he didn't necessarily feel like he deserved it. I almost felt guilty the first month or two after the diagnosis because I was like, well, you know, outside of the acid reflux symptoms, my life hadn't changed that much to that point. Everyone hears that you have cancer and there's this outpouring of support and love, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm earning it, you know? It, it's a weird situation. Shortly after his trip to Tybee, Wes began radiation treatments in his first round of chemotherapy. The treatments inflamed his esophagus, and for the first time since his diagnosis, he began to feel the negative effects of what was happening to his body. The radiation basically made it so I couldn't eat. And, you know, you, you have to drink these insures and these god-awful chocolate and vanilla strawberry drinks. And then I had a bolus effect in my throat to the point where I couldn't drink. So I couldn't even drink water because it wasn't thick enough and I couldn't swallow it. So I just went through this period of like a couple of months where I couldn't eat or drink. During this time, Wes lost weight rapidly and his energy levels plummeted. He told us that he felt like a shell of himself and his work began to suffer. It also brought into question whether he'd still be able to play on the Shield softball team. Most people might consider rec league softball as something someone feeling the effects of cancer could easily discard from their life while they recovered. But those people would be greatly underestimating Wes's determination and how much the Shield softball team means to him. 
His decision to gut it out and continue playing rallied his teammates. Well, it was just an awesome feeling to have him there. You know, I mean, I think at first he wasn't sure, like, is this possible? The first game he did it after his diagnosis, and I think before the chemo started, you know, I think he went like four for four. You know, he was pretty much the best hitter on on the team, and he certainly was that day. And then as the season went on, you know, and the chemo you know, started to take a little more of an effect, you know, then it was different. He, his energy levels were definitely different depending on the week, um, how much he could give. I think I had lost 40 or 50 pounds by then, just over like a month and a half or two months. It, it just, like, I was so weak. And then I would be like, Dan, I, I don't think I can go tonight. So there was probably like a month in the middle of the season where I probably missed three or four games in a row. He would play in these games and sometimes he would finish them. Sometimes he wouldn't. It was clear he didn't really have the strength or or he just wouldn't have the, the energy that you got used to because Wes really is a, a very good softball player. You could just tell that it was taking like a lot out of him. His pants usually, you know, fit him a little tighter by the end of the season. Like they're starting to get baggy, but he was able to do it. I don't know how to this day. I was freaking out every time like he'd go up to bat and I'm constantly asking him, like, you know, are, are you okay? Like, are you good? And, and he said he was fine. Thanks in part to Wes's heroics, the Shield managed to make their league's playoff tournament. Wes may have been in and out of the lineup throughout the season, but there was no question that come playoff time, he wanted to help his team defend its title. When the tournament came around, I just said, Dan, I want to try it. And thankfully, he had enough respect for me and knew I could be an asset to the team that he put me right back in the leadoff hole. And when we got to the finals, it was basically a doubleheader. And Wes tried to play the first game, and he got, I believe, like two big hits in the game. It was like feeling like you were in the middle of a sports movie or something, but it was just like totally normal. You know, even though it's rec league softball, it was pretty like impressive and emotional that that this guy with cancer was even playing and getting hits that were knocking in runs. And we won the tournament again. It was it was almost a relief this time, whereas it was more exuberant the first time, just because it was kind of a frustrating season, but. All of that kind of like fell by the wayside when we won. It was just like a glorious celebration. And I was so out of it. I was so spent that I remember just laying in the grass right after the game and just being like, you guys celebrate. I'm going to be over here laying down. After the game, like when everyone is drinking beers and taking pictures with the trophy, eventually I looked over and like Wes was like laying on the ground. You know, Lakeisha was with him as she always is. And he was just like shot physically because he had kind of overexerted himself. He was just lying on the ground, motionless. Like he had given literally everything he had. And this is not for the Cincinnati Reds paying him a multi-million dollar contract. This is for a work softball team. And I'll just never forget the image of watching this guy, our friend, who put everything he could into this. That he simply refused to not be part of the team and to not be there. Again, it was really touching that he wanted to be a part of it and did the most that he could and then here he was he he couldn't even like move because he had basically used up whatever well that he had so that will always be something I remember it's like this is a guy from a different age like a lot of other people would have completely shut all that stuff down it was not probably smart for him to do it it was probably dangerous and he couldn't have cared less about the personal cost and again it's just like When you think about Wes, these images flash, 
through your mind. To me, that's one of the ones I'll just, I'll, I'll have for the rest of my life. This guy is a little different than the next guy. In addition to causing him to miss softball games, Wes's continued chemo and radiation treatments also prevented him from podcasting. He missed a full week of episodes between late July and early August before returning for a string of shows during the preseason. On an August 11th episode, Wes wasn't in studio, but he called into the show with a surprise announcement. You have some, should we call it breaking news? Breaking. All right, we got breaking news. Floor is yours, bud. So let me set the stage for you a little bit. In the past couple of months since they found the tumor and started radiation, in chemotherapy, we have no way of knowing how much the tumor has shrunk, if it's spread, how, how well everything's worked. Uh, they ran CT scans on me Monday, but I haven't heard, so I, I didn't know anything. And we ran an endoscopy today when I came to from the propofol, which puts you under. The doctor was crying. Whoa. What's in up? A very, in a very good way. She woke me up and said, the cancer is obliterated. Whoa! Oh, boy. Yeah. Wow. She, she, her job was to go in and tattoo the tumor so the surgeon can find it, and there was no tumor to tattoo, she said. So That is of, amazing news. Wow, Wes. Wow. I got Wes, I feel like I'm going to cry right now. I know. Yeah, yeah when so. I called the paramour, she, was, <laughs> she, had, she had me a little misty. They used the, they used the word obliterated. Obliterated, they wow. also use the word, you are going to go in and have surgery on Wednesday because they want to make sure nothing's hiding in the walls or anything like that. Uh, and then you'll be cured. She used the Whoa. word cured twice. This great news sent shockwaves through the Around the NFL podcast community. Hundreds of fans and listeners reached out to Wes on Twitter and Reddit to congratulate him. Longtime sponsor of the show, Mr. F., and ATN subreddit moderator Matt Grieber said the news felt like a victory for everyone. Yeah, like a victory. Like we had somehow won, even though, you know, it's at best a few degrees of separation. You could hear that the guys on the podcast were super choked up, and I could only hear that a little bit because I was shocked to find that I was incredibly choked up. It was really emotional to hear, and I was like, I don't really know these people, and yet... Like, I am so happy to hear this about this guy. That feeling of victory that they described is one that Wes himself certainly shared. After months of grinding through chemo, radiation, and weight loss, he had finally come out on the other side. When she said the word obliterated, that she ran the test and there's nothing there, it's obliterated, I thought I won. I thought it was over. I thought there might even be a chance I wouldn't even need surgery at that point. So I was kind of like so excited to hear that it was obliterated, that I was envisioning all these best case scenarios. But um, they decided to do the surgery anyway. And then the surgery just ended up being so much more extensive and painful and, and just a more arduous process than I expected. Looking back on it, I'm kind of astounded at my kind of naivete and my optimism from that moment. As Wes hinted, he wasn't out of the woods yet. In fact, he was a long way from winning.
The procedure Wes would be undergoing was an esophagectomy, and the surgeon would be removing part of Wes's esophagus and pulling his stomach up. While Wes was in surgery, Lakeisha sat patiently in the waiting room. The surgery is supposed to only be like four hours or like four and a half hours, and I'm just there at the hospital. I'm sleeping for the most part because we had to wake up very early, but then like the nurse calls and she's like, oh, it's going to be another, you know, a few more hours. And then it was like a few more hours. And I'm just like, what the heck? And I'm, you know, trying to keep everybody up to date with what's going on. And John and Colleen come up there to, because I'm freaking out at that point, because I'm thinking this, this can't be good. Like what's, what's going on? Like that they find more cancer. Like why, why is this taking so long? The length of Wes's procedure seemed to catch everyone off guard. Here's Colleen. I texted Lakeisha to see how everything was going. And I was like, who are you there with? And she's like, I'm just, I'm here by myself. And I was like, what? And so I basically just floored it to the hospital. And I was like, oh my God. So I got there and we were waiting like outside, right where the doctors come out. And it was like every single time the door opened, we, we were like puppies where we would like both just like jump and look over at the door to see like who it was and who was coming out. And then it like, you know, it inevitably so many times was not Wes's doctor. And then we would just like slink back down onto the couch and continue doing whatever we were doing. After nine long hours, the doctor finally emerged to give everyone an update. The doctor right away said that everything's fine. I started bawling my eyes out again. And he was just saying like they just wanted to be very, very thorough with it and try to um, keep save as much of his esophagus as they could. So that's why it took so long. And then I finally got to see him. And right away, like he was just normal Wes. As soon as he woke up and stuff, just cracking jokes. It just, it was good to know that like he was okay. I'm still kind of half out of it after the surgery. And I'm delirious from, from the pain medication and, and the uh, anesthesia. And I remember I'm just whipping jokes around to the nurses and doctors. And I think Colleen and John must have heard that. They must have been in the room when I was doing that. When he came out of surgery, he, yeah, he was joking. There were so many machines and so many tubes and just all of, all of the things. And he was making jokes. This is exactly who Wes is, right? Like he had just come out of surgery and he was like obviously in pain. And he asked the nurse like when she was going to put him on the rack. Again, really inappropriate, dark humor jokes. What time is like the torture chamber? That's basically like the kind of jokes he was making right out of surgery. And you were like, what What are you doing right now? Like, oh my God. And the nurses like didn't know what to do. And I had to be like, oh, he's kidding. He's joking around because they were like, is he all right? Like what's happening right now? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he, this actually is a good sign. When your buddy's in surgery with cancer and and then you hear that he's out and he's even cracking a joke, then it just seems like, okay, everything's going to be, you know, it put us, it calmed us all down and, and everybody, and everybody kind of took a breath and like all of the stress kind of went down. Even though Chris was joking after surgery, he was in rough shape. Liz Loza described visiting Wes in the hospital. He was... Really, I I was sad. I was scared. He was, it was the day after his surgery. And he was allowing himself to be more vulnerable than I'd ever seen him. And I, I definitely got back in my car and cried the whole way home because I was very worried. 
Chris ended up staying in the hospital for eight days after surgery. During that time, even the most basic physical movements were a challenge. I remember waking up from the surgery and just struggling mightily to breathe. That would stay with me through the whole hospital stay. And the pain from all the damage they did in pulling the stomach up to connect it to the esophagus, in addition to my asthma, was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. They give you a basically a trigger where where you can just press the button and it will deliver you relief. And I was wearing that thing out. They have sort of these physical therapists who come in and teach you how to get out of bed. That's how debilitating the pain was. Like you couldn't even do it on your own. And there were complications. There was a tube that they had stuck in the side of my chest and it came out. So there's like this fluid coming from my lungs and other places like spewing out of my body onto the bed and you're sort of laying in inches deep fluid of your own body, hitting the nurse's help button and waiting for them to come in and, and clean you up and, and put you back together again. And it was such a difficult process and it's like you're starting over again in many different ways, but your body's not ready to handle it. Chris told us that those eight days were very bleak but it was the stream of friends and family coming to visit him that helped him get through it. Greg, Mark, and Dan made visits to watch preseason NFL games with him. His brother Nick flew out. And friends like Colleen Wolf and her husband John Gonzalez spent significant time with Wes. When John first heard about the diagnosis, he knew more than anyone else what laid ahead for Wes. Coincidentally, the type of cancer that Wes has is exactly what my dad had. And so that really, like for a number of reasons, was hard. You know, like I love, I really love Wes. And then that was tough. It was obviously much tougher on Wes. Now I know what you might be thinking. Who is John Gonzalez? Along with being Colleen's husband, he's also a fellow sports writer covering the NBA for The Ringer. And over the years, he has become friends with the ATN crew. He played a major role in Wes's hospital stay, watching movies, talking sports, and just hanging out. John was there almost every day, and he certainly didn't have to be. I didn't know John as well as I knew the other guys, but it was one of the nicest things somebody who was who was a friend, but not like one of my closest friends. You know, it, it was just a really cool thing that John did to be there so often. We would sit with him and watch movies. Dirty Dancing was a favorite. And like he would lash out with a hot take and then like sort of nod off. And we would continue the conversation. And I wouldn't realize that he had fallen asleep. And then he would just like wake up in the middle of it and like keep going. It was really, it was really impressive to behold. I mean, like aside from the fact that, you know, Wes was battling cancer and had just come out of surgery, Wes is always a good hang. <laughs> Just sitting in a hospital room having a conversation with Wes is better than having a conversation with most people at a bar. He's, he's a good hang. During this time in the hospital, Wes also turned to the ATN listeners and his followers on Twitter for support. You know, I remember him struggling, certainly, in the aftermath of the surgery in that following week and mentioning on Twitter that, you know, he could use all the thoughts and support that he could get and just the, like, wave of messages that he got I think was overwhelming and I know it really meant a lot to Wes it really did with Wes at one of his lowest points 
Mr. F said the listeners delivered in a big way. This is a, an employee of the NFL who really is not a public figure on television. But Chris, through the show, has touched so many people, and not in trite ways, in profound ways. And if you look at what people wrote on public forums, the outpouring of support for him is incredible. Everyone in Wes's life stepped up big time while he was in the hospital. But there was one person beside his bed the entire time, Lakeisha. You know, when he got out of surgery, she was the one who was sort of scheduling shifts and she was like, okay, well, can you come over at this time? I, I, I have to go to work. And so she was either at work or at the hospital. Lakeisha was there to field information, to process it, to basically come back and tell all of us what was happening. Like she had to deal with a hundred people at work asking what's happening all day long. You know, she was strong for him, but strong for us too, because she was so concerned, not just about Wes, but about everybody else. You know, like we had to multiple times get her to, you know, like, let's go get a sandwich. Let's take a walk. He's still going to be here. A lot of times, I think the concern was, like, who is keeping Lakeisha strong through all this? She stayed the entire time. She slept over that entire week. You know, I, I spent however many hours with Wes, but then I went home and I walked the dogs and, you know, I listened to music and Lakeisha didn't do any of that. She went to work and then when she was done work, she went back and sat by his side. Whenever she wasn't there, if she was at work and we were there, Wes was always asking, like, where's Lakeisha? What, like, you know, what time is she going to be here? Because he was on so much medicine. She would come by and spend the night in the hospital room. She had to be uncomfortable sort of on this bench by the window that she had to sleep on. But being there to make sure I had someone there to talk to and that my mind wasn't going into those dark corners. Like as soon as she would walk into the room, he would light up and he would look immediately better from what he was just seconds before. Just her mere presence in the room, I think really, really helped him through this. It did, like there's no doubt about it. Wes couldn't have gotten through this stretch without the support of Lakeisha, his friends, and his fans, but he had to summon his own strength as well. Mark spoke for everyone when those eight days were over. He almost reminds me of the way that, like, my grandfathers were. You don't see it a lot in guys today. You just don't. He just has this kind of steel toughness about him, and you know, it was put to the test, and he, and he completely passed. I think everyone walked away from that experience in the hospital thinking, this is one of the toughest motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life. This guy, what he endured and the way that he endured it is from another place in time. Every Around the NFL podcast begins with Dan Hansis saying he's joined by a room filled with heroes. Wes had certainly earned that title, but the show's cheeky opening is just the first of many things that make the show unique. For one, it's owned by the NFL, and yet the show finds ways to remain subversive, 
referring to their overlords as the shadowy league figures, and pushing legal boundaries with quasi-real sponsorships like Mr. F's economics class. It's ostensibly a show about football, and each episode of course does cover the NFL in some way, often with the latest news and notes, but it is largely just a jumping off point for the heart of the show, which is games, bits, and ball busting between four dudes who are clearly best friends on and off the air. The show is great because new listeners can drop in and immediately enjoy humorous sports talk and sharp analysis, while hardcore fans can relish all of the inside jokes, characters, and callbacks that exist in the colorful ATN universe. Above all, though, ATN is great because of the incredible chemistry between the four hosts. And that's why when Wes was recovering from surgery and unable to do the show, the podcast took a huge hit. In this kind of a, a podcast, you can get by with someone being gone, but there's no replacing them. Like, you can't replace Wes. No one's going to come in and check the boxes that Wes checks. We had gotten into such a groove over the last couple of years, and we had been coming off our most successful season ever in terms of listenership and, you know, the podcast. It really felt like going into the season that we were ready to kind of even go to the next level. So purely from a podcast standpoint, it was a, a huge blow as well. The show, to me, is the four of us in the chemistry between us. You strip everything else away, football or the drops or whatever. To me, the magic of the show is just kind of like the balance between the four of us. And so when you take Wes out, who to me is kind of the heart and soul of the whole thing, you know, I can't help but be worse. When Wes was out, the show lost more than just chemistry. The podcast had to fundamentally change to accommodate Wes's absence. Around the NFL leans a ton on Wes's football expertise and the disagreements that would arise from his takes. Dan and Colleen explain just how much knowledge he brings to the table. It's awesome. He's like Google, basically, for football. I mean, I sometimes I, I won't even have to Google something. I can just ask Wes and he'll he'll know the answer off the top of his head. I would put his knowledge of the game, both the history and the play itself season to season up against anybody in the industry. He just sees the game on a different level. And um, when you combine that with what is a really one-of-a-kind personality, I don't know another Chris Wessling. He's a really dynamic podcast presence. Throughout our interviews, we constantly heard firsthand accounts about what a prolific reader Chris is. From schlepping around bookcases full of books during moves to curating an exhaustive Google Doc sheet with the best football books, Wes is constantly reading and learning. He is as well-read a football guy as there probably is. And I love reading, too, but nothing like Wes. And I especially don't retain it. He can read like four or five straight books on you know, the Redskins in the 70s and 80s. And then, you know, years later, he can just like remember it all. And I, I think maybe it comes from all those arguments with his brothers that like he always had to be like super prepared to take them down. <laughs> Even while he was on hiatus from the pod, Wes continued to watch tape, take notes and read to ensure he didn't lose a step. Back at the podcast, Sidney Carlson, the show's longtime and most well-known producer, told us things just weren't the same without him. It's almost like you don't want to have fun without him. You know, you don't want him missing out. Like you want him to take care of himself, but you also miss him like crazy. 
And the show itself is just different when Wes isn't there. Like, for lack of a better term, like, the magic just isn't totally there. While Wes was gone, Colleen Wolf would often step into the fourth host chair, and she handled the tough situation gracefully. We're really, really lucky that Colleen, who is totally underrated, totally incredibly talented, and fits in with our show so well, and is our friend too, and someone that we adore, that she's able to step in the way she has. Being on the pod without Wes, there's always something missing. You know, I get people that tweet me all the time who are like, you know, we love you, Connie Fox, but we really need Chris Wessling back. And I'm like, I'm definitely not trying to replace Chris in any single way. Like, he is such a core component to the show, and he brings something that nobody else can bring. I would like to think with all four of us that if anyone suddenly were gone, you would really feel the absence. But you have to keep trying to keep the thing going because we, it's like, we're not going to let this show die because one of us is gone. We gotta keep it going for when Wes gets back. You know, I think one thing that haunts my mind a little bit sometimes is that there's gonna come a time when the show ends. And it's just a football podcast. Life goes on, there's much more important things uh, in our own lives and things that are happening everywhere else. I get that. But you can forget that this all will end at some point, but it's not gonna end because of what's happening right now to Wes. He'll be back, and we'll have our run before it does. After his grueling surgery, Wes was chomping at the bit to get back to the podcast. But there was a problem. His vocal cord wasn't firing, and he had lost his voice. The doctor's suggestion for a solution wasn't that helpful either. He said it will come back on its own. You just have to give it nine months or, or a year or whatever. And I said, well, I do a podcast three times a week. Fortunately, Wes was referred to a voice specialist who suggested injections to restore his voice back to normal. The doctor took out this big, huge needle, stuck it right into my neck, right into my vocal cords. And within five minutes, I was speaking again. It was sort of miraculous. It's Juvederm, I guess, is the material they put in there. It's a filler. I guess it's what a lot of people put in their in their face for facelifts and stuff, but it, it worked on my vocal cords. Even though Wes wasn't technically receiving Botox injections, friends like Colleen couldn't help themselves. Like, that is amazing that Wes is like the first one out of anyone to get Botox. <laughs> Thanks to the injections, Wes was able to make his triumphant return to the podcast on September 21st last year, less than one month after the surgery. He sits in the spot we've always needed him to be, where we've missed him. And now he returns. He is the mailman, Chris Wessling! Hey, Dan. I haven't had a voice until last Friday I went to a doctor to get injections in my vocal cord. And within seconds of the procedure, I could speak again. It was mm. it was miraculous. Wow. I, I'm not 100% on my voice yet, but... It's pretty you, amazing. You guys yeah. heard me a couple weeks ago, and it was... It was totally different. It, 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 it wouldn't have been possible to be on a podcast. It was a whisper. Fans were elated about his return. Across the pond, superfan Charlie Barker was so excited upon hearing Wes's voice that he immediately set a plan into motion to celebrate the occasion. The first thing I did was um, I just paused the podcast and I gave my um, 
sister-in-law who's a graphic designer a call. I did some Google searching for the most handsome picture I could find of him, and she did the rest. The result of this project was a large framed photo of Wes with the caption, Mailman is back. The first thing that went through my mind was, come on, let's, uh, you can come to Wembley with us. I know you can't make it, but I just wished it would, hope it would um, give him a big smile. Charlie ended up taking West to a game at Wembley Stadium and then to a bunch of other famous spots around London. I had to fight my way through the um, tourists looking at me rather peculiarly, taking selfies of this great big piece of cardboard with Chris on it. The poster and a collage of the photos of West around London now hangs at Huckapoo's, naturally. Even though Wes was back on the pod, listeners couldn't help but notice something was different. I was so happy that he was on the pod, but I was so sad for him because of his voice wasn't like what it was. And when he used to lock things up and stuff like that, and you felt, you felt really bad for him, but it was, he just wanted his voice to be back. Fans of the ATN podcast will know what Charlie means when he says Wes used to lock things up. But in case you aren't familiar, it's a catchphrase that the hosts shout when they feel supremely confident about a game prediction. And no one does it more emphatically than Wes. To the extent that... Oh, what? No. no. In a big spot? In a big spot! An 8-3 team on a six-game winning streak? I'm gonna lock it up! Jesus <laughs> Christ. Okay. Okay. Whoa. If you want to tap the rewind button on your podcast app to hear that once more, I can't blame you. Actually, never mind. I'll save you the trouble. I'm gonna lock it up! So, so good. After his return, Dan said everyone was paying close attention to Wes's lock it ups. That's like the test, uh, the litmus test to see where his voice is at, is how strong his lock it up comes. So he's definitely getting closer and closer to uh, full-throated West that we love. Even if it would take some time to regain his peak lock-it-up form, Wes was just happy to be back to podcasting. I'm proud of the fact that, that I've been able to come in and jump right back in, and the chemistry is the exact same as it was before I missed you know, a couple of months. I think there was a point where we all thought of ourselves as writers, and now we can probably think of ourselves as podcasters because that chemistry is there, and, and it's something that the four of us have that I think is kind of unique. Having Wes back on the show provided a big emotional boost to Wes's friends and to the listeners of the Around the NFL podcast. But behind closed doors, he was settling in for a long and difficult struggle post-surgery. In early October, he began another round of chemotherapy that proved to be much more intense and challenging than before. The change in Wes's voice was obvious to the podcast listeners, but even diehard fans of the show were unaware of just how difficult this period was for Wes. Only his close friends knew what he was actually going through. I lost my grandmother to cancer. She was older, and it's a different situation when someone that's younger and close to your age goes through something like this. So it was the first time I had ever seen it up close uh, with someone that was kind of in my age group. And I'm floored by what a battle it is. Every other week, Monday through Wednesday, I go in and about four hours of treatment at the doctor's office. And then they give me a pump to take home. And that's attached to the port near my upper right shoulder. And that delivers a drug I believe is called 5-FU. Every minute, it just pumps more of that drug into my body. He'll have, you know maybe two good days and then like something will make them really sick. 
because of something that he ate, especially if it's a chemo week, his energy is just drained like that whole week. And then the next week it's like, okay, you're kind of coming back up the hill. And then right when you kind of get a little bit up the hill, it's like, oh, we got chemo again on Monday. During this stretch, Wes's body was ravaged by a wide range of excruciating symptoms. He felt numbness in his thighs. He dealt with nausea. He lost energy and his appetite. Every time he felt like his body was recovering, he had to go back for chemotherapy and start the painful cycle all over again. The chemo affected all aspects of his life, including his ability to be on the podcast, as the treatment would reset any progress made by the vocal injections, meaning Wes would have to return over and over for more. And chemo made podcasting difficult in ways that went beyond his voice as well. I remember one Sunday, I tried to come back probably a little too early and ended up, as soon as I got out of the podcast, you running downstairs and kind of vomiting in the bushes because of the chemotherapy. And it was just like, okay, maybe I'm pushing myself too hard here. Both mentally and physically, this was an incredibly tough stretch for Wes. But even missing the podcast and struggling to speak paled in comparison to the issues he was having with food. And the drug he was on was the culprit. That causes diarrhea and really bad indigestion. And I just can't keep food in my body really well. So I'm still on a feeding tube, and I tried to kind of wean myself off of that just because I think the natural inclination is you want to rely on normal eating. You know, I would like to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, food. But I've had to go back on the feeding tube kind of every day for 10 to 12 hours at night just to make sure I'm maintaining my weight. When Wes was first receiving radiation treatments in the late spring and early summer of 2017, he began to shed pounds as inflammation in his esophagus made it very difficult for him to eat and drink. Before the weight loss became a more serious issue, Dan joked about a silver lining. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, he really was kind of a, a thick guy, athletic build, and his inability to be able to eat just kind of the, the weight started falling off him. And at first, like, we would joke with him that he actually looks, you know, really sexy and he's, you know, he's, his cheekbones are showing and how Lakeisha probably was feeling really good about the whole thing. And then the weight continued to fall off and it was just like, damn it, why can't this disease let him eat, let him, like, live his life? I was at 210 when they discovered the cancer. So I'm down 65 pounds. I went from probably a 34-inch waist to uh, probably like a 28 or a 29 now. I joke with my girlfriend that I, I look like a POW. I really look like a war refugee. My body, I'm used to having some muscle, and, you know, I, I was kind of like a barrel-chested kind of guy. And now all of my muscle has atrophied. My calves, my thighs, my butt. I'm not used to having no ass. Uh, no muscle definition at all in my arms. I'm just not used to having this body that I'm in right now. I don't like to to ever look in the mirror. I I just don't look like a healthy person right now. Probably the hardest part for me is when I went out in August after the surgery. He was down probably another 20 pounds from when I had seen him in July. And then obviously with the surgery, he did not look good when I first got in the hospital. And luckily the nurses were working on him because I needed to leave the room before I started crying. Luckily, his doctor was right there, and she said, oh, are you Chris's brother? You look just like him. And I said, yeah, only I'm about 60 pounds heavier than he is right now. 
and he looks most like my dad anyway, but he looked very similar to the way my dad looked the last time he was in, in the hospital before he had passed. I tell Lakeisha all the time that I'm living hour to hour right now. My body changes how it processes food so much differently from hour to hour and how I feel about the process and, and how well I'm doing, it changes so frequently. There's this total inability to put on weight and maintain energy right now that is affecting my quality of life and on many days just leaves me with a negative outlook. That's the thing that I, I feel the most like I can't help him with. You know, like anybody can bring food and donate money and bring books and blankets and all of those things, but like he's just got to muscle through this awful cycle of dread. The mental part has been just as tough for me as the physical part. I haven't spoken to enough people who've dealt with cancer before to know, but I think that's probably pretty normal. You just get down in the dumps and you're like, I just want to be close to what I was in the past or close to normal. And there are days when you wonder if it'll ever be like that, you know, that you'll ever have a quality of life that's kind of worth it. How quickly after surgery, let's say for an example, can Lakeisha and I go on a road trip, I can go to a winery or a bar, have a drink or two have food without worrying about my body going into total shutdown mode and ruining the whole experience. Like how long into my future will that be a thing again? And I think she thinks it might have a chance to happen right away. Whereas I sometimes wonder if it will take many months or even what percentage of that enjoyment I'll ever have again. The worst days you wonder how much longer you're going to live or, or how well the recovery is going. And it's just like, what, what is my purpose in life? What do I have to live for? And when you think about all the people out there that care about you, that's a buoyant feeling. It, it does keep you going. Wes was surrounded and supported by many loved ones during this stretch. But as you have heard over the course of this episode, it was his girlfriend, Lakeisha, who never left his side. We are not exaggerating when we say that every single person we talked to for this episode had nothing but incredible things to say about Lakeisha, beginning, of course, with Wes himself. My favorite quality of hers is that she's a very positive person. She brings positive energy. She's rarely in a bad mood. She just has this rosy outlook on life that that I probably needed and come to appreciate so much, and now I rely upon it. As much as he talks her up, he's not exaggerating. She is seriously lovely. It's good to know from my perspective and from his friends and family perspective, I think, it's good to know that she's there uh, taking care of him and looking out for him just like she did those few days when she was here. Thank God Wes and Lakeisha are together because she's so selfless. She loves Wes so unconditionally. She has been by his side through everything and has been there with a smile. I don't know where he would have been throughout this process without her support and help and just day-to-day -day positivity and everything. I mean, Lakeisha is like kind of a hero. Lakeisha is such a rock for him. 
she's such an amazing person. I can't imagine all of the things that she's done for him and the emotional and physical toll it takes on her. It would have been very easy for her to just walk away and be like, no, this is too much for me. But she was 100% in it by his side. And that alone to me was so incredibly impressive. And I was so grateful that he had her around. What an incredible woman of honor and character. Like she could have totally just been like, I'm out, forget this. And she didn't. And she's incredible. And I'm so grateful to her because I don't, I don't think Lakeisha knows how much she means to the rest of us, even though she's not our direct friend, because she is helping to keep our dear friend alive. I think a lot of times you can see how serious somebody is by the way they react when their significant other's down the most. And um, obviously she stepped up and she's just wonderful. The way this has all played out, I think it's just such a confirmation that these two are made for each other. That it's just incredible to see how she's dealt with, you know, months and months of adversity and, and how he has too, and how he is really, I think Wes has changed a lot through this relationship, much more so than because of this illness, I think. Ever since I've known him, his number one uh, passion was riding, was sports. And uh, now I see a different passion when he's with her and when he talks about her. And that's what love is meant to be. And I think he's found it and he realizes it. And I think uh, maybe this is what made him realize it or maybe just her made him realize it. I'll kill Wes if he doesn't like uh, lock this one up. Like He will no longer be on the podcast. I'll do everything in my power to remove him from the show if he messes this up. And I don't think he will. I think they're perfect for each other. And I think that Wes, he knew that. And I think everything that happened only reinforced that. But I am very serious. Wes will have hell to pay if he does not get this thing done. I think this is some great gift that has come out of this, that when you look back for decades and decades, when Wes will be healthy after this, this is an incredible thing that came through a very difficult circumstance. It's unknown if they would be in this place had this not happened. So she and Wes are meant to be, and it's just incredible to see where it started and where it is today. On January 19th, just a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl, Wes announced on the pod that he was done with chemo. Just turned my chemo pump in about an hour ago for the last time. Oh, yeah. Get that out of my life. The big turnaround is coming soon. And for anybody that's listening, a shadowy league figure, this is not Celebration by Cooling the Gang. (laughs) This is a... Song that only sounds like celebration. Sounds a little bit like it. Even though returning to the pod marked a big milestone, Chris told us that he was still unsure what the future held for him. You're kind of in the gray area with all this. I'm not a medical expert, so it's like I want to see tangible results that I'm getting better. It was more a mystery to me. Like, will my body automatically feel so much better just because I'm not getting chemo this week. I think I think it was more of a questioning and a mystery and unwrapping that than actually stepping back and rejoicing at not having to do it. At this point, Wes not only had to worry about when his body would fully return to normal, but also how he would continue to pay for all of the medical bills. The bills pile up. There are so many unforeseen expenses. Um, I had some issues with my car, like fertility, like, you know, going to the sperm bank because of the chemo, like all this stuff pops up out of nowhere. And it's all this unforeseen stress on top of, you know, battling the illness. Most people might assume that insurance would cover these bills. 
But Wes had a ton of out-of-pocket expenses, like the vocal injections, which weren't covered in his policy. To help offset these costs, the ATN crew suggested a fundraiser, although Wes was initially skeptical. It's a little bit uncomfortable for me because I don't like asking for help. I don't like asking for money. There's this pressure to come up with a number, and I have no idea. It's not something I asked for, so I haven't, I haven't tabulated all of my bills yet. I don't know what unforeseen costs will pop up in the future, but on the other hand, it's like the bills pile up. With Wes's blessing, the crew announced on a February episode that they would be trying to raise $60,000 for Chris. We've started a GoFundMe page. Even though we have great insurance here at the NFL and, and all of that, like, there's still a lot of extra costs, and we wanted to help Wes out. And Wes would never ask for this, by the way, and that's why I'm saying he's like probably feeling mildly uncomfortable. He would never actually do this for himself just because that's kind of uh, the guy he is, but I know that uh, it's, it's been something that's been piling up. With the help of the listeners, the GoFundMe raised over $68,000 in less than a week, and Greg closed the campaign. The speed at which people donated left Wes in disbelief. Yeah, I was shocked. It was a big surprise to me, and, and you know, I was talking to one of the shadow elite figures today, and, and he said, you know, I, I knew that your Tybee friends would help out, and your Cincinnati friends would be there, and the podcast listeners are great, but he said... I was really shocked how the football community had really banded together and helped you out. That a lot of writers and TV people who don't even know me but have read my work and are familiar with the podcast, they not only retweeted and sent messages on Twitter, but also many of them contributed money. So that was, I think that was a pleasant surprise for a lot of us. Raising that money and nearing the end of chemo put wind in everyone's sails. When we talked to Lakeisha back in December, she was already looking forward to their future and a return to normalcy. The thing that gets me through it a lot is thinking about, you know, the future and, you know, after he's done with the chemo and all the traveling that we plan on doing. I think I even just told him today, like, have your passport ready. Like, we're going to do some traveling. We're going to, like, live our life again because it's kind of been put on pause. A couple days after the GoFundMe completed, Wes and Lakeisha were already making good on their promise to travel more once Wes felt better. They took off for a long weekend in Hawaii to visit one of Lakeisha's friends. They didn't stop there, though. In mid-March, they set out on a road trip they dubbed the Freedom Tour that included stops in Cincinnati and St. Louis to visit friends and family, as well as take in a couple Major League Baseball games. Even when looking back on the hardships they endured in the past year, Lakeisha still sees the overall experience as a net positive. I'm the type of person that I feel like, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens at a certain time. Like, like all of that stuff, like, lines up. And I feel like it happened at a time in our relationship where we were the strongest to where it was just like, oh, we got this. Like, we're going to survive. Like, any day that he needs strength, I'm there for him. If I'm, you know, down, like, he's there for me. Like, it's just, we knew that we were going to be fine through it. Since finishing chemo, Wes has returned to a more normal podcasting schedule. And as everyone will tell you, he hasn't missed a beat. When Wes came back, it was kind of like, at least from my perspective, as the host, he would say certain things. I would just kind of exhale because Wes will just bring up these really interesting and unique points. So whenever it's the four of us all together, it just makes life so much simpler because it's, it's just so natural. Every time I see him, I just give him a hug. Like, I just, I love him so much. And 
to hear him back on the show doing what he loves to do, there's nothing better. He's such a warrior. I don't know. There's just something almost otherworldly about that experience I had for two years with those guys and being able to just kind of be a part of his triumph over that is pretty special. Chris could have at some point said, I need to change everything. I need to not worry about this job or this podcast. I need to put myself first and vanish and disappear. I mean, some people, that could be the reaction. It's incredibly hopeful for all of us to see that our friend has made it an incredibly unchanged goal from the beginning to get back on the show, to come back, not as some version of himself or some lesser version, but I'm seeing a guy who is seen more about football than ever before, who has come with a total fire where he's going to get better and better at this. He's not going to slow down. It's not going to be, you know, oh, well, Chris is here and that's nice, but we're not getting the old Chris. You're getting a better Chris. You're getting a better Wes. And I think it's just going to change who he is as he covers sports, but as he goes through life for the rest of his journey. Battling cancer makes you and those around you stronger. You can hear it in Mark's voice, and you can hear it in Wes's too. There's a sense of being forged by fire and hardened through the experience that you know if you can survive this, you can survive anything, which makes you a bolder person. I don't think I'd be afraid of branching out from football and trying different kinds of writing. So yeah, I think there's definitely a boldness that can come through this and and, an adventurous streak of willing to go in different directions and experiment with things and not worry so much about the consequences if if it's a failure or if your life goes in in a direction you hadn't planned. No matter what Wes decides to do professionally in the future, whether that's more football writing and podcasting or a new pursuit, there's little doubt that he will be successful. In making his battle with cancer public on the podcast, he's already proved that he's willing to attack things differently than most people. Mr. F and Liz Loza respected Wes immensely for sharing his story with listeners across the globe. He gave us an insight into how it feels, like what your body goes through. He posted pictures of his weight loss and Chris gave us, I think, a gift by demystifying cancer a little bit, because I think for many of us, the fear is one of the great dangers of cancer. And people, rather than allow themselves to get a diagnosis from a doctor, they just refuse to accept that their body is giving them signals that they're in deep trouble. By going public with his cancer and sharing the full details of the aspects of the cancer, which were so difficult, the recovery for his voice and the diet, the the struggle every Tuesday that he gets chemo. I mean, those insights are, they are an incredible gift. I think it was incredibly brave. Uh, he'd probably roll his eyes that I said that because it seems so Hallmark Cardi, but I don't know if I could say, here's what's going on in my life for real. I think it takes an incredible amount of courage and I am not at all surprised that it was met with a ton of support because you're not a fan of Chris Wessling if you don't like intelligent, honest analysis. I think there were a lot of times during this whole thing, especially after surgery, where you kind of, especially when I was out of work, it's like, what's your purpose in life? And when when you do hear from people that you've affected, 
not just in this country, but you know, in a bunch of different countries throughout the world that, that you're affecting their lives on a daily basis and they're waiting for that podcast to come out. They love the dynamic between the four or five of us on the show and they feel like they're a part of it, that they are sitting, you know, like right, right next to us, that we're friends with them. And I heard that from so many people that they just, they just feel like they're friends with all of us, that we're all this group that hangs out. And that's how their experience is with the podcast. Wes has an uncanny ability of making everyone he encounters feel special. It's a unique quality that everyone we talked to described for us. I feel like from the first minute that I encountered Chris, I felt this friendship sort of tractor beam to him and that it's only stronger. It's like it's now become someone who I think about all the time. I will think about for the rest of my life. And it has to do with this, but it has to do with who Chris was and how this has changed him and who he's going to be. Wes is a special person before any of this happened. Like, even if he's not someone that I'm going out with to bars all the time, it's just like one of those people that you know that you'll know for the rest of your life. And I feel like my feelings about Wes in that way and that understanding and just that like loyalty that he has and that he inspires is not unique to me. I think he inspires that, you know, and in so many people he comes across. When you meet Wes, you instantaneously feel like you've known Wes your whole life. He's one of the most interesting people I've met, one of the most genuine people I've met, but just genuinely like a good dude, like a good human being. He has so many people that feel close to him that are all so different. And that even someone that maybe hasn't spent like all the time in the world with him still feels like Wes is one of their best friends. He's no one thing. He's not just some sports guy. He's not just some softball player. He's not, you know, just some guy at the bar, some bar fly. I mean, he's all of those things, but he's extremely intelligent. He's, you know, extremely smart. He's not a hippie. He's not a conservative. He's just kind of an enigma. I mean, he's just himself. I think Wes is one of the most salt of the earth people I've ever met. He's so very sure of who he is and kind of what he wants in life. And he's not looking for anything but what maybe kind of fulfills him. You know, like football is something that is fulfilling to him and a meaningful relationship is something that's fulfilling to him. Like he's the least shallow person I've ever met. Also, his favorite movie is Casablanca. Like, come on. On May 11th, 2017, Wes announced his cancer on the podcast and then went on a trip to Tybee Island with Lakeisha. Now, a year later, Chris will return to Tybee Island for another weekend trip. This time, he has planned a party at Huckapoo's and invited friends and family to come celebrate all that he's tackled over the past year. And Wes will once again do what he does best, bring people together to have a good time. It's hard to imagine a more fitting location for such a celebration. The place where Wes became a man in a place so many ATN fans now want to make a pilgrimage to because of the stories they've heard on the podcast. A few things are certain to happen at this reunion. There will be drinking and there will be cornhole. And of course, there will be debates. Lots of debates. Maybe even a Jordan LeBron if we're lucky. On the walls of Huckapoo's will hang Chris's softball jersey, his first Roto World article, and the framed poster of West that Charlie Barker took around London. And behind the bar will be Eric, 
serving beers and singing the praises of his good friend, Chris Wessling. The other day, I was, uh, I was at somebody's house and they were playing a video game. And in the bottom, it said, Chris Wessling predicts something on the video game. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? He's on a video game, you know? And, and to think where he was when I met him and where he is now. And, and now this is kind of the, the icing on the cake of, of just how determined he is. Here's this guy that's beating cancer, that's going to win the battle and get back on top where he was. But it's just another way you can describe him of, of just this, this guy that refuses to lose, refuses to, to get down on himself and always keeps his head up and always keeps moving forward and blocks out all the distractions. When I'm telling a success story, he's the one I use. Thank you for listening to Fantasyland, the podcast that covers everything you didn't know you wanted to know about fantasy sports. And special thanks to everyone who talked with us for this episode. Chris Wessling, Mark Sessler, Dan Hansis, Greg Rosenthal, Lakeisha Jackson, Eric Thomas, Colleen Wolf, John Gonzalez, Jason Buehlerman, Liz Loza, Matt Grieber, Mike Flame, Nick Wessling, Rosie Laney, Sidney Carlson, and Charlie Barker. We have a ton of great audio that didn't make this episode, so keep an eye out for some future mini-episodes about Wes and around the NFL. We also want to give a special thanks to Mike Corain for joining the Fantasyland team as a guest producer for this episode. His help was invaluable in pulling this show together. We aren't running any ads for this show, but if you'd like to donate to a good cause, Chris has recommended the Cancer Research Institute, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated exclusively to advancing immunotherapy to treat, control, and cure all cancers. You can donate to the charity at www.cancerresearch.org. We'll also post the link in the show notes. Our music in this episode is by Leo Kaliski. Check the show notes for links to Leo's website where you can hear more of his great work. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review Fantasyland on iTunes and tell a friend about the show. We'd really appreciate it. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, you can find those on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. All of the shows are evergreen, so it's never too late to go back and listen to an older episode. And if you have any ideas for future shows, specifically great stories within the world of fantasy sports, drop us a line at fantasylandpod at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter, also at fantasylandpod. Fantasyland was created by Fantasy Douche and Matthew Friedman. Our producer is Pat Corain, and I'm your host, Peter Overzet. Next time on Fantasyland, we head to Nashville for a daily fantasy sports live final. I can't tell you how many daily fantasy people that I'm now that I consider friends who I would have never met if I didn't come to one of these live events. It sounds odd to say that, but it's 100% true. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.